podcast where activists change the world, and you can too. It's kind of the opposite of, uh, like, so you don't have to content, right? You see that stuff sometimes. I tried this new product, so you don't have to. I watched this terrible movie, so you don't have to. But here, I can't say, I took collective action, so you don't have to. It's more like, I took collective action, and actually, you have to, or it won't be collective enough. The fate of the world literally depends on it. My guest today is Chris D'Agostino from Sunrise Movement. He talked about some of the environmental work that organization is doing and how you can help, of course. Specifically, Chris's job is to help get pro-climate policies enacted by the Massachusetts State House. Now, before we get to the episode, I, I want to touch on something that's been pissing me off. Uh, I keep hearing ads for this new podcast called Commencement, the podcast, I guess. It's just the biggest fucking neoliberal nightmare fuel. The premise seems to be that uh, each episode is a commencement speech stand-in, sort of, for the kids graduating college this year who won't get an actual commencement. But all the speakers are like Hillary Clinton, John Legend, Katie Couric, uh, just masters of peddling bullshit from atop a pile of money, you know? By the way... I don't know who decided that we all had to give a shit about Katie Couric all of a sudden, but I've had it. I never really gave her a second thought before. She's no different from any other mediocre network news personality. But every time one of these fucking cretins lasts in the industry for 40 years, we're all supposed to be enamored with them. Just this American bullshit hero worship story. Katie Couric has a podcast. Wow, who gives a shit? Katie Couric, along with the rest of traditional media, has realized the inevitability and lasting power of podcasting. And she's riding the coattails of hardworking artists who pioneered the medium whom she will soon push out of the space they created organically over many years, even though she could retire tomorrow and never want for anything. Now here's my interview with Chris D'Agostino. My guest is Chris D'Agostino, and uh, you want to tell me once again what your uh, job title at Sunrise is? Sure. So at Sunrise Boston, I'm the state policy lead. Very cool. So uh, so what kind of stuff do you do in that role? So right now uh, we're working on a campaign uh, to put pressure on representatives from very important districts in Massachusetts. Mm. Um, those representatives are holding up climate action. So the districts are uh, um, Lowell, Revere, Winthrop, and Chelmsford. So we're working on mobilizing young people in those areas. So okay. that's my main project, but there are also um, other projects related to just trying to move legislation past at the state level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've noticed that Sunrise does seem to do a lot of uh, um, both putting pressure on politicians as well as like endorsing candidates. Mm. Um, so what's the uh, what, what does it sort of look like when you are trying to get legislation passed or you've got, um, uh, you know, you're trying to put pressure on politicians to, to act on climate. Sure. So, uh, we have a couple of tactics up our sleeve. Um, the best one that sunrise uses is, uh, direct action. Unfortunately, we can't do that now due to COVID, but it usually involves, uh, making noise outside of a representative's office. Um, yeah getting attention that way, you know, putting old fashioned pressure on them. 
another way that we're doing it and we're, we're a bit more new at Sunrise Boston is uh, working with other advocacy groups to do more uh, in-person meetings. Um, uh, yeah. Meet with the legislature legislators, okay. just try to convince them that way to, to uh, move bills forward. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Sunrise is definitely at a point now where, um, you, you know, you've, you've been like in the public eye long enough that like, uh, I'm sure reps are like much more willing to meet with you at this point. Is that oh, yeah. something you've noticed? Yeah. So what, what is it? 2017 that Sunrise started? I actually believe it? it's 2015. Oh, um, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. So that was Sunrise National. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just everywhere. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, it's in Texas, California, Tennessee, you name it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, electoral politics, mm. um, what does Sunrise look for in candidates and uh, how do you sort of handle the the uh, limitations of electoral politics where like, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's sort of um, becoming one of the themes of this podcast is that uh, the the limits of electoral politics where like I think too many of us are kind of sitting back and, and uh, hoping that we can get enough of the right people in office and then it'll yeah. be fine. Um, what, uh, yeah. So in what ways do electoral politics help the movement and in what day, what ways does it not? Like in what ways is it limiting? Yeah, sure. Um, so one thing that sunrise recognizes is that, you know, if we want to, enact change, it's not enough to just pull a lever every two years or every four years. Um, That's just the start. And when we're looking for uh, candidates, we ask them first to sign the Green New Deal pledge. Mm -hmm. There's also a uh, no fossil fuel money pledge, so they can't take any money from there. Yeah. Um, And the Green New Deal pledge is all about, well, the core tenets of the Green New Deal, are you willing to advocate in all ways that you can to get to carbon neutral as soon as possible? Right. Lift up low and middle income communities in doing that. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, providing a just transition for fossil fuel workers. Yeah. And ensuring everyone gets health care and, uh, you know, it's, it's just a just transition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like I know that um, Sunrise endorsed bernie during the primaries um but i think there was you know people weren't sure for a while if maybe it would go warren or what but uh at this point um knowing that that biden wasn't exactly the best climate candidate um how how is sunrise handling that like i'm not sure if i've heard anything but um is is sunrise going to endorse joe biden or is it going to be like like withholding an endorsement until he he make certain promises or. Yeah. So I actually spoke to uh, someone from national about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that we are going to end up endorsing Joe Biden, but at the right. same time, we do recognize the uh, urgency and importance of beating Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's, that's a, a an important uh, point where it dovetails into direct action, I think, because, um, you know, the, what I'm getting from a lot of the activists I've talked to is that like, yeah, you got to like an election means you're choosing your opponent because, um, you know, it's it's really do you want 
for the next four years to fight Donald Trump on climate change? Or do you want to yeah. fight Joe Biden on it, who is also going to be difficult, but it's, you know, you might have a better chance of uh, at least, you know, um, uh, acting without too, without as much fear um, of retaliation. Here's how uh, I think about it. Mm -hmm. So if Donald Trump is president for the next four years, God forbid, um, he won't be able to be moved. Right. Uh, popular pressure will not move him on climate change and anything because just given how vindictive he is, yeah. it might actually be the other way. He might say, you know, screw these kids. Um, I'm just going to deregulate even more. Right. If Joe Biden is president, he will have to answer to us. Right. Right. We will be able to pressure him and move him. And we have moved him. Yeah. Um, I think the Bernie Sanders campaign was actually very, very, very successful in that, I mean, obviously we didn't get him elected, but um, Joe Biden, he's taken more aggressive stances on climate change yeah. um, since, and uh, we can still move him in, in a positive direction. Yeah. Um, do you think that most of that movement has to be done before the election? Or do you think that, uh, um, you know, not that direct action should end when, uh, you know, after the election, but does it... Um, is there as much chance to move him after the election? Like say, like say he wins or um, is it, uh, uh, is there even more of a chance in that case? Yeah. So I think that there probably is more of a chance to move him after he's elected. I don't, right. first of all, I don't see him running for re-election. Yeah. Um, so he'll have a bit of freedom to, to just do whatever um, or, or answer to the popular movements. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I think he is playing a calculated game of, okay, if I uh, go too aggressive on climate, am I going to uh, alienate, say, uh, people in Pennsylvania who are in the fracking industry? Right. So I, I think he is playing that game in his head. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, after he gets elected, we'll probably have the most uh, success pressuring him. Not to say that we shouldn't now, but right. that's that's just my two cents. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense because I think... Uh, Right now, like you're saying, he doesn't want to alienate certain voters. And uh, after he wins election, he's unlikely to <laughs> seek re-election. So, um, yeah. So, uh, what um, what else has uh, like what other accomplishments would you do you want people to know about that Sunrise has has gotten done in the past couple of years? Well, I suppose. Um the biggest one is just getting the Green New Deal on the agenda. Yeah. Um, it was a radical idea three years ago, mm -hmm. two, uh, four years ago, and now it's part of the mainstream political conversation. Right. And when you look at polling data, it's actually, it is popular in swing states. Yeah. The idea of a Green New Deal. So that's certainly um, uh, a success that we've had. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm trying to think more at the the national level because I'm I'm more focused on the um, you know the regional stuff the, yeah. the Boston stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, I think yeah, I mean the main one that I can think of is just moving the narrative, moving the conversation. Um, last time climate change legislation was on the agenda was I believe 20, 2009, 2010. Wow. And had we had the popular momentum that we have now, we may have been able to get something through. But there just wasn't that that momentum there and that, uh, yeah, that popular activism. Right. Um, 
Yeah, and the, and that's uh, one of the main things I want to do with this podcast is uh, give people some options and some ways in to mm. to these like popular movements. Um, if people wanted to get involved in Sunrise or um, environmental uh, direct action in general, what what are some steps that they can take? Sure. So uh, first of all, there's the Sunrise website, and I believe there's a find a hub section there. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the top, there's a, there's a place where you can see if there's a hub nearby. If there's not a hub, then I believe it gives you an option to uh, to start your own hub. Yeah. And there are resources there to, to help you out with that. Right. And something that I've just found really useful um, when I'm trying to get legislation passed is is to find a buddy in the legislature. Find right. someone who is sympathetic to your cause, maybe co-sponsored a bill last session that didn't get through. Mm -hmm. Set up a meeting and go, "Hey, I want to uh, I want to move your legislation along, you know, let me know what are important, you know, pressure points in the legislature, you know, how can I help you move this bill along?" They'd just be absolutely ecstatic to to work with you on that right. and to have a friend from inside the government. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's very cool. Um, and then, yeah, so there's that. And there's also, uh, you know, building uh, solidarity with other movements, mm -hmm. not necessarily climate movements, yeah. but, um, you know, immigration justice, um, yeah, racial justice movements. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's always great uh, to have one another's back and to right. just forge those relationships with them. Right, because all of these issues are related. I think that's yeah. that's one thing that I've heard uh, as a criticism of the Green New Deal is that it like, oh, why is there stuff about healthcare in there? Why is there stuff about this? And it's like, well, because it's all related. Like, I don't know. No, <laughs> it absolutely like, I don't is. Know if people realize that, like, no, yeah, they're not just trying to like force in other stuff. It's just like that all of that is connected, and you can't just say, you know no more pollution. And that's like, that solves everything. Um, so yeah, uh, I, you know, I wonder, um, what you think about, like, what, what are some of the blocks that you think it are in people's minds about, um, taking action, like getting involved in organizing and direct action and uh, maybe maybe what were some of your own blocks that that you overcame and how did like how did you get all, into all this? Um, are you talking about climate activism or just activism in general? Um, more more activism in general. Um, yeah. What's keeping people from doing it? I suppose. Uh, so I got involved in activism very shortly after the 2016 election. Right. That was my that was my breaking point. I'm like, OK, yeah. this guy's going to be president for the next four years. Then. Uh, I have to be involved. Yeah. I suppose what prevented me from doing activism before was maybe the perception of an activist. I suppose like I, I had this idea, like um, you know, the false idea that you know you're a hippie or something like that, yeah. and you <laughs> you make a lot of noise. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, activism and particularly activism around policy, it it um, centers around probably one of the most important questions there is, which is how do you want your government to best represent you? Right. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's a very good explanation. And I do think that um, it's, it's, it's frustrating and unfortunate that I think P 
people do kind of have to reach their own breaking points. Yeah. Um, so it's less about convincing people and more about, uh, you know, what I'm trying to do here, which is like, you know, encourage people who have reached a breaking point and just don't mm-hmm. know what that that step is. Because, yeah, I think 2016 was a turning point for everyone in, in some way. Yeah. Um, but uh, for like for me, I think it was like <laughs> on some level, I was like, OK, well, then Bernie's just got to win in 2020. <laughs> but <laughs> it uh, when. When that didn't happen, when it was like when Bernie got so close and it just seemed like, all right, no matter how close he gets, they're going to like, you know, there's going to be something that the DNC does to say, uh, hey, like, you know, this is not going to happen. That that's what made me say, like, all right, this is not like the the uh, uh, the be all end all like the, you know, voting's not going to solve the whole problem. So, like, what else? What else can we do here? I also think that um, when it comes to my generation, we don't, we haven't really seen progressive change in our lifetimes. Yeah. You know, I think about the major progressive legislation in American history. You have Social Security in the 1930s. You have uh, Medicare and Medicaid in the 1960s. And the closest thing that my generation has seen to progressive legislation is Obamacare. And Obamacare is conservative. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I also think that there's a bit of cynicism, but I think the the way to counter that is just to remember that, you know, when you have an engaged, mobilized public um, that are, you know, scrutinizing institutions that are holding them back, that are fighting against them, those institutions don't have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, That that's great. Uh, so... When um, when Sunrise does something, does like a a protest like the uh, the climate strikes, like, like I was at uh, one of the ones in Boston, I think mm. December sixth. Yeah. Um, and you know, like when it, when I got there, I wasn't sure what to expect from it. And I, at first, I was like, "It's cool that we're all gathering here, but like, what what next? Like, when are we gonna you know go like <laughs> like storm the the state house?" And then like all the, you know, all the younger people went in and I, I realized that I was uh, no longer considered a young person, but <laughs> they, uh, they sent all the young people into the state house. What kind of goes on when, when you go into the state house? Well, I can speak to that day. Um, we occupied uh, Governor Baker's office. Mm. Um, we, yeah, we went to his office. We said, pass this legislation that we want to see passed or we're not leaving. And they told us to leave repeatedly and we didn't leave. And many of us got arrested. Yeah. And um, so that's what went on that day. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, it was on the news. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's great. I mean, did, did that uh, move the needle at all? Did you, is, is, has there been any signal from Baker? So yes and no, no, because Massachusetts, not a lot of people know this, but there's a lot of transparency problems in the Massachusetts government. Okay. A lot of people don't really know what's going on there, but Baker, I believe at his uh, state of the state uh, address, uh, said he's interested in getting us to net neutral or carbon neutral by 2050. Yeah. Which is a step up. Um, Is it good enough? No, but uh, that's definitely an indication. And so does the Speaker of the House, Robert DeLeo, 
uh, from what I remember of, of interviews of him re- recently, he is interested in net zero by 2050 as well. Okay. Yeah. And that, that's sort of the, the like bare minimum, bare minimum, right? Like yeah. the, by 2050, but, yeah. but it does indicate that like, okay, they're, they're signing on to something at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Cause I think, um, this is such this is such a problem. I'm sure it's across the political spectrum too, but it's especially with um with with leftist, you know, for lack of a better term. I know Sunrise uh aims to like unite people on this issue. Like yeah. but um uh it you know, it is leftist. Like so like I notice especially on the left that like um uh it's a frustrating like lack of action. So it's always encouraging to see a little more uh, push, a little more of, of um, you know, less memes, more <laughs> protesting. Less memes, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I realized early on you're not going to convince people with savage memes. That's right. not how you really persuade people of your right. point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I Because, um, you know, over the past few years – I have become more interested in further left ideology, socialism, uh, Marxism to to a degree, but like, yeah, it's you go down that road to a certain point and it's like, yeah, this is interesting stuff to know. Some of there's good ideas in here, but, uh, you don't just say we're socialists now and start a Facebook group and that does it, you know? Um, so it's it's very encouraging to see um what is so yeah I guess what else is coming up for this year and how is uh sunrise handling the covid situation that we can't you know gather and go to the state house Sure so I can speak to what's happening yeah sunrise boston um there's a initiative called Green New Roots, which is focused on sustainable agriculture. And the plan is to create community gardens uh, to make healthy food accessible to people in uh, urban and low-income areas. Mm. So you there you combine climate with, with the COVID situation, which right. um, and with is poverty really great. And, and, food and we're and, also yeah. still working on uh, halting the construction of the Weymouth Compressor Station. Okay. Which is, um, would you mind and explaining? a lot of that is just calling uh, certain elective elected officials and yeah, just putting that pressure on. Yeah. Uh, would you mind explaining what that is, the compressor station? Sure. So, um, I mean, I will admit I'm not really uh, a center, you know, I'm not super involved in that campaign, but I can oh, speak okay. to it very basically. <laughs> Um, so, uh, governor Baker supports the construction of a, um, frack gas, uh, compressor station in Weymouth and it does not need to be there. Right. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of advocacy pressure on trying to, trying to shut it down. Yeah. Um, so there was that and the community gardens. So what, what would that look like? Uh, what's kind of the, the goal there? Um, well, some of it is, um, I mean, 
yeah, some of it certainly involves like obviously involves feeding people who who are hungry, but it's also there's also a, an opportunity we're planting a lot of sunflowers uh, in the Boston area because right. sunrise. Hey, yeah, <laughs> sunrise sunflowers. Nice. So uh, yeah, I mean there are many many uh, like yeah facets to uh, yeah to to what we do. I mean we we're, mm-hmm. we're always working to try and we're always trying to work in yeah COVID with with climate and the intersection of that. Yeah. So, um, and when it comes to community gardens, would that, uh, would it like employ people or like, would it, would it be a free thing? Like, how does that kind of work? I cannot speak to that, unfortunately. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, uh, so yeah, well, going back to the compressor station for a second, um, for people who don't know, you know, I know like, like fracking, didn't mean anything to me when I first heard about it, but like, uh, I, there still might be people who hear it and don't know what it's all about. Um, the, cause it's sort of falsely sold as a like carbon neutral or like low emission fuel. Is that right? Yes. Um, but it's, so is, so is it more about the process of, of, uh, obtaining it than about, you, the use of it that that's causing the problem oh taming it as in like define taming it oh i mean uh, uh sorry i said obtaining it oh obtain <laughs> it. Like the, the way they get it out of the ground is kind of the problem is that right uh from what i understand uh yes and there's also methane leaks okay um from the infrastructure itself and methane uh, is more potent than carbon dioxide yeah yeah um yeah, so I mean that kind of gets you into what um for people who don't know what's in the green new deal and what uh what would it look like if we passed it or passed, you know, most of it. Sure. So it would look like a variety of bills. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't just be one specific bill. It would right. probably change over time just like the the original new deal did. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, the idea, again, is carbon neutrality as soon as possible, mm-hmm. um, lifting up low and middle income folks in the process, providing them with jobs, uh, making sure those jobs are well paid, um, they have good benefits, and they have um, adequate health coverage in the process. And that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why uh, the Medicare for All is thrown in there, yeah. is that if there's going to be a transition from fossil fuel jobs to renewable energy jobs, it's probably the best idea to decouple health insurance from uh, the job industry. Well, yeah, from jobs. Right. Yeah. 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 That That's not working out so well. <laughs> <laughs> that is not working out so well. Um, yeah. But I mean, that's, that's certainly our vision and, and we're fighting for it. And um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the crux of it. And yeah. we see this as an opportunity to create tens of millions of jobs and mm-hmm. give young people hope. Um, right. And uh, that that's what I think is key. I mean, oftentimes, uh, you know, the generation that fought in World War II is considered the greatest generation. That's what they're called, the greatest generation. Yeah. We could be the next greatest generation. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, nothing would make millennials and 
Gen Z happier than being put to a giant project yeah. to solve climate change. Yeah. We want to we want to roll up our sleeves. Right. Yeah, I, I think AOC said something like that that you know, we should think of climate change as our World War Two. <laughs> yeah. Like uh that because that that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I mean people say greatest generation and and you know don't even think about why that is and it's like you know yeah. it's well it was everyone getting together to to uh do something that we all felt needed to be done um yeah so what is uh what's the main thing holding holding it back at this point holding this movement back is it um is it who's in office is it like you know if uh, 10,000 more people signed up with Sunrise, would that help? Like what, what's kind of, uh, what needs to happen? <laughs> sure. So at Sunrise, when we train new people, we do a presentation on political alignments of the past 80 years. And instead of thinking about politics right now in terms of Republican and Democrat, we think about politicians in the uh, era of the New Deal, mm. which is around 1932 to 1980, and the era of Reagan, yeah. which is 1980 to, uh, and it's currently going on right now. Right. And the philosophy of the New Deal and New Deal presidents like Eisenhower and even Nixon was that there is a relationship between government action and societal progress. Mm -hmm. And that's how people uh, governed during that time. People forget that 1950s taxes were far higher on the wealthy than they are now. There were far deeper regulations on banks. And ever since Reagan, the uh, dominant political theory has been government is bad. Right. Government sucks. Mm -hmm. And that's what we believe has really dominated both political parties over the past uh, 40 years, right? Yeah. That's been the theory that yeah. government can never be used as, well, not never, but oftentimes it's not used as a tool for good. Right. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's sort of, even when we do use it to help, it's like, yeah. well, if you do use too much of it, it's just generally bad or it makes people dependent on it. And that's bad. You know, um, that's kind of, that's, that's a lot of the, uh, um, defense that I, I hear of it. And it's, it's just crazy. Cause now you see how inadequate that is when, um, we have something going on like we do now and there's all these people trying to get unemployment, but it was never designed to help that many people. And even when you could get on unemployment before it's, uh, well, you, you, you should be working at least 10 hours a week and looking for other work. And if you're not, then you don't get it anymore. And, um, you know, now I'm seeing stuff like, oh, all the healthcare workers should have their student loans erased. It's like, well, yeah, but <laughs> why? Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, they've earned it now by suffering through this horrible thing. And it's like, well, yeah, why can't you just do a nice thing for everyone because <laughs> it, because it would help everyone if, if uh, people weren't so deeply in debt and could, you know, build themselves up and start a life. It really does benefit everyone. 
I agree. Yeah. Tell me more about your own kind of journey with uh, activism. Like where, where did you start with it? Well, did you start with sunrise and where did, where did you start within sunrise? Um, I actually did not start with sunrise. Um, it, uh, yeah, the spark came right after the 2016 election. Um, I was scheduled to go abroad to Australia um, in the year 2017, once I got there, I started my climate uh, advocacy work in Australia, where I joined a group called the Australian Youth Climate Coalition. Mm. And there we were working to halt the construction of a coal mine uh, near the Great Barrier Reef area. And I would also okay. go into uh, high schools uh, across Victoria and uh, teach climate uh, science and climate solutions. So once I got back from Australia, uh, I started doing, uh, participating in an organiza organization called Our Climate, um, which is a great organization. Uh, their emphasis is carbon pricing and uh, equitable and just carbon pricing. Mm. And um, I'm still involved in that organization. Yeah. And um, I also, then I got involved in Sunrise around 2018 2019 when i just saw this momentum and i saw uh people getting really really excited about the green new deal yeah so uh yeah that was my way in that's great um so yeah you've been all over with it um yeah so what how do some of these groups differ from each other i mean it, uh you know i'm not asking you to throw shade at any of them but like is it uh are some of them uh, more effective than others? And if they are, how so? Hmm. So when I think of an organization like Our Climate, mm -hmm. the focus is more lobbying. Mm -hmm. It's about building relationships with legislators and um, meeting with them over and over again um, and educating the public about policy Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, getting bills passed on in that regard, but, uh, sunrise is, uh, we have the leeway to be a bit more, uh, aggressive in our approach, yeah. right? We do what a lot of organizations don't, which is we do the protests and right. our relationship with our representatives, um, that isn't I'm trying to find the right word here. It's not like at the it's, forefront. It's not at like, the forefront. Okay. It's not necessary. Right. Right. If they hate us, they hate us. If they love us, they love <laughs> us. Right. Okay. And other advocacy groups, it's about building that relationship. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so so I guess it's kind of like uh, different groups are doing different things too. Yeah. Uh, so and it's, it's all like, necessary. It's all yeah. part of the ecosystem yeah. of environmental advocacy. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's great. When it comes to meeting with legislators, um, what has like, so yeah, I mean, you could say either with Sunrise or uh, with our climate, do you, do you meet with Republicans? Like, do you meet with, with just anyone who will meet with you? Is there like a, you know, um, do you target certain people who like, oh, I think we can move them on this or how does that, how does that kind of work? Yeah, so uh, we usually do not meet with Republicans. Okay. <laughs> um, 
No, but that's a, that's a fair question. Mm. Um, and there are actually uh, groups on the right um, that are more uh, right-leaning, like the Citizens Climate Lobby, that are working okay. on conservative carbon pricing legislation. So they are trying to work to uh, pressure those representatives from the right, which I think is uh, a great thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, well, on the right to adopt more, uh, you know, uh, quote-unquote free market climate policies that would move us in a positive direction. Right. So, yeah, be... um, I mean, there's that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, forgive me. Can you repeat the question one more time? Oh yeah. Um, I guess, how do you decide who to meet with and, uh, you know, are they, is it, you know, mostly like AOC type of politicians who will meet with you or have you, you know, been able to kind of get around the spectrum a little bit? So usually, the best bet is to meet with more centrist Democrats right. who should be doing better on climate, but aren't. Yeah. Um, I will uh, name two people who really need to be pushed. Uh, okay. Thomas Golden, who okay. is the representative from Lowell and Chelmsford and Robert uh-huh. Leo, who is the speaker of the Massachusetts house from Winthrop and Revere. Okay. So, um, and the way to move them in a positive direction is, yeah, just getting as many people as you can to a meeting, mm-hmm. you know. And what we've, what Sunrise, uh, our philosophy is what's going to move people uh, are the stories and the connections. Right. So why is climate change important to you? Well, I'm a young person. I'm going to have to live with this, those kinds of stories. Yeah. yeah. So it's less about at sunrise, the policy wonkery and more about like the emotional aspect of climate change, telling those stories. And, um, that does move people. Right. Yeah. It it is important. And that's, um, that, that's, I think the direction I'm, I'm coming at this show with as well. Cause, uh, Mm. you know, it's sometimes like policy is important too, but I get, you know, I, I think that's a lot of, uh, Democrats problem is getting too bogged down in, in, uh, policy. And it's like, yeah, yeah. you're not going to like inspire people by <laughs> talking. Trump about never talks about policy right. at all. <laughs> he couldn't give three shits about it. Exactly. And he inspires so many people. Right. I think that's what, uh, people were missing about someone like Bernie who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, was, uh, more policy, focus than people gave him credit for but i think when when it'd be like oh but how are you gonna do it how are you gonna pay for it and it's like well i who cares like he's gonna have like a bunch of people working for him who can figure that out like that you've gotta say these things like uh you know we're gonna go to the moon like kennedy didn't know how we were gonna go to the moon when he said that (laughs) I agree. And I I really feel as though there's an imagination that's lacking when we're thinking about getting to a carbon neutral economy. I mean, Mm. how awesome would that be if, like, I was thinking the other day, no one in America would have to worry about, like, car exhaust or exhaust coming from, like, like, all those problems, like asthma and birth defects that come from pollution, gone. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So you mentioned these two uh, more centrist Democrats that, that you're kind of focusing on. Were, were both of those um, state reps? In, yeah, like in the they are the currently state, state reps. They hold uh, power pos- 
powerful positions in the Massachusetts okay. government. Um, so what is, is, is it more inaction from them or has it been, has, have they supported stuff that they shouldn't? And, and is it more getting them to act or getting them to stop acting on bad things? It's more getting them to act. So yeah. Thomas Golden is the chair of the, what's called the TUI committee, the telecommunications utilities and energy committee. And in order for a bill to become a law, it has to jump through all these committee hoops. Right. And there are two bills that we really want to see enacted this session that are stuck in his committee, and he has yet to put a vote on them. Wow. Um, so right now we're working on mobilizing pressure to get him to put those pieces of legislation to a vote. Yeah. Because um, they're just sitting, sitting there in the TUE committee. Mm -hmm. And um, last session... The Massachusetts Senate. Now, the Massachusetts Senate is very progressive, okay. at least compared to the House. The House is yeah. a lot more conservative. Okay. And uh, Massachusetts Senate passed this really great um, – well, I wouldn't say great. It was a very good bill um, that would get us 100% renewables by uh, the 2040s. Okay. And uh, apparently Robert DeLeo didn't like that. <laughs> um, so when they were at ne the negotiating table – and trying to get a bill that they could agree on, um, he settled for something much, much, much less. Yeah. So he stalled progress last session and uh, is a big reason why we weren't able to get the big climate package that uh, we deserve, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, that is a good place to focus, I think, is, is where sneaky actions like that will happen or like, putting stuff in a committee where it just gets stuck there. Um, Cause I, I think that that tends to be how like some of the more right leaning Democrats will stall things in state legislatures, especially uh, when it comes to Massachusetts. Um, it's, you know, it's like any state that, that you have these cities where people are more lefty and rural areas where people are more conservative and, um, you get a mixed sort of government because of that. Mm. Um, I get the sense, and this is, I moved to Boston a little over a year ago, and uh, I lived in Philly before that. So Pennsylvania struck me as very, um, there's so much between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh that I, I do stand up and I, I'm so used to hearing like every comedian tell a joke about this. <laughs> but, so I feel ridiculous even saying it, but like you got Philly and on one side, Pittsburgh on the other, and it's all rural in between. And there's so much space of that. I feel like that leads to Pennsylvania having a very conservative legislature. Um, but the governor and Lieutenant governor are pretty lefty right now, at least. Um, I feel like it's a little bit the opposite in Massachusetts that it seems like we we get uh, fairly democratic leaning legislatures, but end up with Republican governors, but they're forced to be less conservative than a lot of Republicans. Yeah. Um, is that is that an accurate portrayal or I would agree. Um, I want to challenge the notion that the Democratic legislators in the uh, Massachusetts government are lefty. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, not to say that you're making that assumption, but um, that's an assumption that a lot of people hold. Mm -hmm. And the thing is when you have, and here's my 
theory, my idea, is that when you don't have a strong Republican party, as you don't in Massachusetts, it's, there's not a lot of representation in the in the House and the Senate, the Democratic Party, um, they kind of lose their identity because I feel as though what makes you a party is what you're against. Yeah. So what we're left with are, sure, you have really great um, – you know, more social Democrats like uh, Nika Eligardo in the in the uh, House Representatives, Mike Connolly. Um, but you also have more Reagan Democrats um, that, yeah, are pretty conservative. You have a lot of conservative Democrats in the Massachusetts, particularly the Massachusetts House. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is so frustrating. Uh, M- Michael Moore said something great about Reagan Democrats because you hear so much with the democratic elected officials talking about appealing to these people. And he, and he goes, the statistically all the Reagan Democrats are dead. (laughs) (laughs) These people we were talking about 40 years ago, do you think they're just still here? (laughs) Like that's not how life works. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah. So in, in dealing with, and yeah, I, I didn't mean to suggest that the, you know, democratic party is, particularly lefty, but, uh, it's more how, you know, how people vote in different areas, but, uh, what has been your experience working with, um, with democratic politicians? Do do you get the sense that it's kind of just a, a, a difficult bureaucratic system keeping them from doing more? Um, is it, are they just lying to us? Are they just not the party they say they are? Uh, what, what sort of like, what, t- what takes like a, you know, Nancy Pelosi who th- 35 years ago sounded like AOC and now she's Nancy Pelosi. What, how does that happen? You know, what sense do you get from, from what you've been doing? Oh, like how does the transformation happen from like, more social Democrats to Reagan Democrats. Right. Like why, like why does there seem to be a transformation? You know, is it a transformation or are they, they just saying they're for certain things until they get in office? What, what does it look like on your end? Just when a side thing. Um, it's interesting. You said that I was listening to a interview with uh, Jimmy Carter. Yeah. And he said, you know how much money I spent on my election against, I think it was Gerald Ford. Right. Spent zero dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I spent no money. Yeah. And um I think, yeah, part of the transformation is just the you know, the increased role of uh money in politics and and right. those stakeholders, you know, having to fundraise all the time rather than legislate. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, to answer your question about that transformation, that that definitely plays a, a large role. Um and a lot of the excuses I hear legislators make is the bureaucracy of it all um Mm -hmm. in massachusetts and in massachusetts the speaker of the house robert DeLeo, um it's his house right he calls the shots Mm -hmm. um there are there are a lot of institutional problems with the house representatives and i'll at the massachusetts house and i'll give you one of them Mm -hmm. one of them involves the fact that when Robert DeLeo appoints chairs of committee, he gives them a pay raise in the process. Okay. <laughs> which gives that chair a perverse incentive 
to vote the way that Robert DeLeo does or else there's always a threat that they won't have that chair position anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's not even something that happens in the mass in the um, federal house. Wow. Um, so DeLeo holds quite a lot of power. And there was this joke from this like retired um, representative that like, there should just be an app that every representative um, has that just says, okay, how's DeLeo going to vote for this? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's crazy. So was that the kind of thing where, oh, there was just no rule keeping him from doing that? Did that Was it legislation that he got passed that allowed him to give these pay raises or like what? Don't quote me on this. I believe it's legislation that he passed um, really? in order to consolidate that power. Uh, to give you some context, uh, I believe two past Speaker of the House, uh, uh, Speakers of the House in Massachusetts were literally criminals. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, and there was a sense that, you know, a leader has to get the house under control. So okay. I feel as though if there was, yeah, I'm pretty sure there was legislation that allowed him to consolidate power, but it was under that guy's like, okay, we have to have a controlled house, everyone. Cause we don't want right. to end up like uh, those other guys. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's wild how that stuff works. Um, yeah. It's what like there, there's so many different kind of tactics to, consolidate power i feel like so it's yeah. it's not always easy to recognize when it's happening um like one uh, like when the uh uh senate what was it they didn't they didn't allow the witnesses right they didn't allow witnesses into um uh the impeachment hearings oh yeah, yeah. um and someone pointed out that that's like okay so they basically just like just said like Trump, you can be a dictator now. You can do whatever you want because we're just not even gonna pretend to like have people examine that. Um, and you know, it's it kind of in a day to day, it just looks to people like, oh yeah, the Republicans are being Republicans and it sucks. But like, it really there's a, there's a lot of different methods, a lot of ways people use to. Uh, retain and increase their power one thing that i find interesting is i feel as though the republican base um rewards ruthlessness mm. on the part of uh republican politicians in a way that democrats do not so imagine yeah. the democrats take back the house the senate uh the presidency i think one thing they should do is uh add more states to America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should probably add DC, Puerto Rico, uh, if they're willing to become states, yeah. Guam, Guam, if they're yeah. willing to become a state. Um, <laughs> like, go Adams, ahead, man. And yeah. I feel so if, yeah, it, it's going to be hard uh, to do that, even if you have those majorities, because yeah. there's just, yeah, the right um, really does reward that kind of ruthlessness when the left is not. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh yeah, it's like why not like there's you don't get anything because you followed the rules and yeah. you're like, you know, uh kinder than your your opponent. Um and yeah, and that's where, you know, we talked about ideology a little bit earlier and that's where I think that uh you know, something like socialism 
recognizes that need for building power and that and that's just, that just looks like organizing and what sunrise is doing and and whatever else and uh it's uh do you, so um yeah i know I, I noticed this on the website somewhere that um i forget what it exactly said i'm trying to find the page but it was yeah something about like we don't uh we don't want to divide people and it, and it's uh less about ideology than just doing what's right um could you uh go a little more into what uh what sunrise means by that or what or by not you, trying or to uh divide people yeah um yeah um sure so we're always working in solidarity with other movements um and there's an entire team at sunrise boston a wing of it that's dedicated to figuring out what other uh social justice organizations are doing Mm -hmm. and um helping them you know providing them with resources um but i'm trying to think of a compelling answer to your question um (laughs) What do we mean by yeah. not dividing? Um, yeah, because it's 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 a hard thing to approach. Like, I definitely I think it's probably the right way, and I think it's commendable. Um, but yeah, it's hard when like you have one end of the political spectrum like completely rejecting the idea that we need to do anything about this. Um, and I wonder, you know, is it about reaching out to any of these people, or is it more about just doing what needs to be done regardless of them. Oh, okay. So is, is sunrise making efforts to try and reach out to the, to the right? Yeah. Yeah. To get them on board. Uh, no, okay. We are not. And, um, our philosophy is, uh, based in the idea that you're more likely to get someone who is mildly sympathetic to us. Yeah. And, move them over to our side than to convince someone who's not sympathetic to us at all and move them to our side. And there are a lot of people in that middle area that yeah. could be turned. So we're about mobilizing those people who may feel disaffected. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did say something similar before and that, um, yeah, that's something where, so I signed up with the, uh, uh, to be like a, a fundraiser with, with sunrise, um, mm. Or I created like a, a Act Blue page or whatever, um, and I, you know, I, I I reached out to a lot of people I know, friends, family, just people I've you know haven't seen in years but know, um, and I don't think I've got much of any response. So like, and when it comes so when it comes to that, because I don't think anyone on that list is like a Republican, and most mm-hmm. of them are aware and sympathetic to it. Um, it could be that, you know, people don't read every email they get, but what, what ways do you find, um, you know, beyond like we talked about, you know, when you talk to politicians and stuff, but what, what ways work to reach out to, you know, your family, your community? Like if people know that like, yeah, my parents get it, they think it's real, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're not doing anything yet. 
uh, we go to schools. We give presentations at schools, at high schools. Yeah. Uh, try to uh, recruit there. And uh, I mean, yeah, our, our experience is that, you know, it's easier to mobilize 16, 17 year olds who have heard about climate change their whole life and are mm-hmm. concerned about it and it's lingering over them. And, you know, maybe they they want to find uh, something to do that's that's purposeful. We, we found that, yeah, reaching out to young people through those avenues is uh, particularly effective. Mm. Um, when it comes to someone like uh, like Greta Thunberg, I don't know if uh, Sunrise like has done any work with her directly, but um, when she, uh, you know she has has met with all kinds of people, but when she meets with like you know someone like Obama, who like like do you, do you think there's uh, is it a, a waste of time to to like talk to any uh, any given politician like um, someone like Obama who I think uh, likes the photo op probably won't do a whole lot like do you think that like uh, what do you think of her approach in general and do you think that there were any dead ends there that didn't work out? Um. I think that, well, yeah, I'm thinking about her general approach. She's very straightforward. Yeah. She shames leaders <laughs> right. and um, she does it publicly. She has no problem doing it. Yeah. Um, and that might not be effective to the leader in that moment. Right. But for the public who watches it, yeah. I think it is very effective because yeah. she's saying, hey, look at your elected official. They're not doing the best thing. They're not doing the best that they could. Right. So in that sense, I, I think um, she's very effective. And and something mm-hmm. that Sunrise thinks a lot about is when we try and make change, when we have like a public conversation with a elected official, there's a technique we use called bird dogging. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, suppose you have a, an elected official at a forum and there's a Q&A session. And right. Sunrise might get up and ask a very, very pointed question. Right. You know, why are you taking money from the fossil fuel industry? Or, yeah. you know, how can we trust you to do this if you're taking money from the fossil fuel industry? And it's less about convincing that representative at the moment, more about the audience, more about just letting the audience know right. that they're not doing the right thing. So in that way, I think Greta uh, is is very effective in reaching out to her audience. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I've heard about that. That's, um, that's that's uh, that seems like a good approach. Um, okay, my my last question. I think uh, we've talked a little about how this um, this type of activism can overlap with others. Uh, what is um, what would you say about labor organizing? and environmentalism what uh what can labor organizers do um to help this cause sure um now that's a good question it's Mm. not something that i've thought about very much but um there's a sunrise branch in california that's working to get uh labor organizers on board and i I believe that's starting in massachusetts as well um So like, um, yeah, even if you haven't 
uh, seen a lot of it yet. Like, do you think that's kind of a good um, approach to, uh, you know, because short of legislation, like, I guess, uh, how else would, like, we get court, like, companies to move on it? Um, do you think that labor organizing is a good avenue to get, um, to get leverage to take action? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Fortunately, I can't speak too much to that because yeah. I, I, yeah, I haven't done a lot of work, but, um, no, it's definitely, definitely a point of leverage. Cool. Yeah. I, that's, I asked because I'm, I'm, uh, dipping my toe into it with, <laughs> with my workplace. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I do this podcast for, for listeners to, um, learn some of this stuff, but I'm also learning myself. So, yeah. <laughs> um, just want to do, do whatever I can. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for doing this. Is there anything else you want to add, um, places you want to send listeners or, Sure. So if you're interested in getting involved in Sunrise, uh, again, you can go to the Sunrise Movement website. Um, you can find any hub near you that's available. Um, and if there's not a hub there, um, I believe there's an opportunity where you can start your own hub. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, there are also uh, other great organizations. Uh, I mentioned Our Climate earlier for people that are more focused on on lobbying and, and policy. Mm. So that's definitely a great organization uh, to get involved with. And you can go on their website, our climate uh, to, um, to get involved. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, thank you again. Sure thing. All right. It was good meeting you. Good to meet you as well. All right. See ya. There's my talk with Chris. Super nice dude. Glad he's doing what he's doing. You can learn more and get involved with the work Sunrise is doing at sunrisemovement.org. You can support the movement for Black Lives by going to blacklivesmatter.com. Please protest or donate or give supplies or whatever you can. As you all probably know, black people are fighting for their lives in this country, and you don't want to look back on this time and wish you had done something. So go for it and be safe.